This program is brought to you from the Margaret Farrow Studio. This week on Rewind, your week in review. Hear what lawmakers and the public have to say about using $600 million in taxpayer funds to pay for upgrades at the Brewer Stadium. Plus, Republicans and LGBTQ advocates clash over a pair of transgender youth bills and the dueling election bills Democrats and Republicans have introduced. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for October 6th. Hi, I'm Emily Cannon. And I'm J.R. Ross. We're going to start this week with the first public hearing on the sweeping $700 million package that would pay for renovations at American Family Field and in return the Milwaukee Brewers would extend their lease at the stadium. Uh, several dozen people testified from all types. We had lawmakers, Milwaukee leaders, and the public. And really what's been a sticking point in this conversation, uh, JR, primarily from Milwaukee leaders and Democrats, is the contribution that you see right there is $202.5 million. A lot of Milwaukee leaders have been stressing that, you know, we just got this local government funding bill through the legislature. We're going to get this surge of funding, and yet you want to have more from us, in their words, you're squeezing us. That was one sticking point at the hearing. So let's hear first from some Milwaukee Democrats and the co-author of the bill, Representative Rob Brooks, who is kind of answering that question of where things can go from here. Let's take a listen. I would love to see the brewers stay here. I don't want them to leave, but I also don't want Milwaukee to, you know, while we're currently still trying to claw ourselves out of this financial hole, that now on top of that, we have a really big, huge burden to cover as well. So if they don't stay here again, we will be all of that benefit that we were supposed to have gotten that justified us being kept at 10% shared revenue um, well, would seem to have been kind of like a bait and switch at this point. I never want to hear it said that we didn't hire a police officer. We had to lay off a fireman. We had to do cut any services in Milwaukee to pay for the brewers. So we have been negotiating on that premise. So I am comfortable, and I believe the mayor and the county exec will be, when we come to a final agreement on this, that we can all stand and say that, that we've given them the flexibilities you're hoping for. Number one thing that we learned at this public hearing, I would say, is amendments are coming. Uh, you just heard from Representative Brooks, and some of the things that he hinted that he would like to change in the bill includes lowering the contribution from the city and county of Milwaukee from about $7.5 million is what we're hearing right now per year. There would also be a ticket tax on non-brewers events, uh, putting Milwaukee back um, on the stadium board that they would have a say um, in things on there and creating a work group to examine new development in the area as that has also been something proposed by uh, Milwaukee Mayor Cavalier Johnson saying, look, we have all these empty parking spots. Um, I know we had crews out there for the sad um, <laughs> Brewers uh, series that just lost, but um, there was a lot of empty parking spots that are, are not really used on home games, and that's what they're sticking to. Hey, we can create development. So those are some of the changes that we could see, but it's all about timeline, Jair, mm -hmm. that we have talked about on the show before, because lawmakers are going to be on the floor uh, in the next uh, two weeks in October. Then their last few weeks are going to be wrapping up uh, whatever work they want to do right before um, Thanksgiving break. But we haven't heard from the Senate, so that's yeah. kind of the big question mark. So both houses are looking at two days each in October, two weeks set aside in November to meet. That is not a great timeline to make the changes we think are needed to 
get Democrats on board because Brooks has said in various forums he's going to need Democratic votes, maybe a lot of them. How many does he need? And if you need a lot of them, how do you get them involved? Now, there are some ways to get Dems excited about it. Union folks are saying, hey, this is good because it you know, uh, maintains jobs. But it's not the same as like the, the Bucks Stadium where they built a stadium and you saw Democrats outstate. Jennifer Schilling, then a lawmaker from La Crosse, um, for example, got behind it because unions were saying, look, this is good for our members. We're big backers of Democrats. You want to get on board. It's going to be a similar push. The Brewers have not done a great job uh, working the Capitol so far about this. You hear kind of quiet complaints. They're not as engaged with lawmakers directly as the Bucks were. Is that a big deal? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I guess more about the sense of is there uh, this urgency to get it done before the fall or could it trickle into the January? And then you're up against the deadline of the assembly wants to be done in late February. The Senate's done by mid-March. Like there's a, kind of a, a deadline to get something done. Right. And, you know, there was also the argument that maybe we don't need to get this done right now from some lawmakers, mm -hmm. not all, but of course they want to get this done as soon as possible as other people do. And that's why they're talking about it right now. Also, big question mark is what is it going to take to get Governor Tony Evers on board? He was visiting a child care center and, uh, and on Thursday and I asked him about it. I mean, what do you like? What do you don't like? He once again hinted towards the Milwaukee contribution, given the shared revenue package that just passed. They're being squeezed, squeezed, squeezed for more money. Um, but other than that, he's looking forward to what he said. Um, whatever lands on my desk, he is still talking to GOP leaders and the authors about this, him and his staff. Um, so hopefully what lands on his desk he likes, but it still is going to have to go through a lot of tweaks. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's also talk about the latest on impeachment. And instead of talking about former our state Supreme Court Justice Janet Protosiewicz, we're actually talking about Megan Wolf, who is the administrator of the Wisconsin Elections Commission. This week, Senate President uh, Chris Kapinga sent a letter to Assembly Speaker Robin Voss urging him to move forward with proceedings to impeach Wolf, who has refused to vacate her position after a lawsuit was filed by Attorney General Josh Call in wake of her firing. Um, this is kind of, once again, the latest step. Now, what also we haven't really heard from is Voss talk openly about this. We have both contacted his staff. Kind of remains to be seen, but I think also that just gives you a mm -hmm. sense that maybe he might want might not want to explore this. I don't know that there it, usually usually if a leader wants to do something, they don't shy away from talking about it. So the fact that it was met with silence, um, I also tried to get Devin Lemmy's office to tell me if he was on board with capping his request. I haven't got a request uh, answer back yet on that one, so that might also might tell you something. But take the big picture look at the chaos we have now with Megan Wolf and the Elections Commission. So you have the lawsuit call, Josh Call filed the Attorney General, saying that the Senate voting to remove Wolf is null and void, waiting for an order say, to say that. No hearing scheduled yet. Megan Wolf continues in her position, basically overseeing the Elections Commission staff, um, which Republicans are driven crazy by. We have the capping of request for impeachment. We also have articles of impeachment already filed by five assembly members. Granted, those five are not in tight with leadership in the assembly, to put it nicely. Their proposal has not been given a resolution number or referred to committee. It's basically stuck in the speaker's office. That means it ain't going anywhere anytime soon. So there's that going on. And there's this approaching deadline of 45 days out from the Senate voting to remove Wolf. That is important because the Joint Committee Legislative Organization, controlled by Republicans, has a power in state law that after a 45-day vacancy in the administrator's job, they can appoint somebody else. Now, I'm not saying they will do that, but... But it's an option. Yeah. It's an option, and there's... Democrats say there is no vacancy. 
They argue she is in that job appropriately. Republicans say, no, we removed her. Could that add to the chaos? And oh, by the way, 13 months from about right now, we will be having an election in Wisconsin in which we could be one of four or five states that swing the presidency. This is a tough look for us nationally with what's going on and that looming thing. Now, for Democrats, their main concern is get through 2024. They want to find any way possible to keep Megan Wolf in this job because their fear is that JCLO scenario in which somebody's appointed to that position by Republicans who may be a partisan because the committee appoints somebody. Uh, we don't think the commission, the six-member commission, could agree on who could run the agency. Now, maybe it could. Mir miracles do happen, <laughs> right? <laughs> they often don't agree on Maybe much. Democrats yeah. in the commission go, you know what, it's better to appoint somebody than have JCLO do it, but if they can't find somebody, that's like the fear of having JCLO do it. Then the other question is, who could you find to take this job knowing what the, the situation is, the dynamic is, with how that commission operates, which is basically dysfunctional, with all these conspiracy theories about elections from the Republican base, who'd want the job? Who'd feel secure in taking it? That is a real challenge. Also, you have to be well-versed in election law, know kind of like how capital works, and not be a partisan. That's a tough Good thing luck. to find. <laughs> That's a tough thing to find. Well, that goes back to the what I think I said, you know, a few weeks ago. It's, you know, why even want this job for those reasons, but knowing that you can be fired by the Senate for any of your actions. Mm -hmm. I mean, you slip up once, they're going to hold it against you. Um, so that's the real challenge on top of all these other layers um, to it. And Megan has been adamant that she's going to stay in this role mm -hmm. until a court tells her otherwise. But that has been really odd to me that this has not had a court hearing on it yet when we initially heard from Josh Call saying election matters are taken up very quickly. I'm sure he is aware of the 45-day window. Mm -hmm. So. It, that's what I'm just a little taken back by. But, of course, the court system is very, um, has a lot of other things on their to-do list right now. I, I check the entry on CCAP every morning and I, afternoon. Yeah, I, I have I not, seen any, yeah. not seen a hearing scheduled yet. All right. Um, speaking of elections, there are now dueling proposals offered by Democrats and Republicans. Now, the Democrats' uh, package came out this week, but over the last several four weeks, I've been tracking multiple Republican bills, and there's probably about one bipartisan bill in there. There's a lot on your screen right now. I'm going to highlight a few of them. On the Republican side, one would prohibit a losing candidate from registering as a write-in candidate during a general election. Another bill would preserve Wisconsin's voter ID law in the state constitution through a constitutional amendment. Another one would remove Wisconsin from ERIC, which is the Electronic Registration Information Center, which is a nonpartisan federal agency that tracks voter fraud and other things like the voter uh, uh, list. Um, and another bill would process absentee ballots before Election Day. That bill does have some bipartisan support. On the Democrat side, they have reintroduced ranked choice, rank choice voting. A new bill this week would allow 16 and 17 year olds to pre-register to vote. Another one would require state agencies to help eligible, eligible voters get registered when they apply for driver's license and financial aid. And another would uh, have requires elected state officials to serve as election officials once every three years. Let's first take a listen from Democrats touting their proposals and Republican Representative Snyder, who I spoke to specifically about the bill that would process ballots before Election Day. Take a listen. Elections are central, are the central institution of democratic representative governments, and voting is the primary language of democracy. 
Democrats believe that all eligible voters should find voting easy, accessible, and have confidence that their votes are safe and secure. So during the next 10 days, legislative Democrats are introducing the Safe and Sound Democracy Bills focused on a return to good government. These bills encourage participation in the democratic process of voting, ensuring that the will of the people is the law of the land, and increase transparency in campaign finance. I hope that some of the bills we roll out this week will find some bipartisan support that I mentioned earlier. I do support the idea. I would like to see it get across the, the finish line, and it will affect basically the um, central count cities and municipalities. Uh, but this would just allow the central count to begin earlier, and that would, in order that we might have election results by 10 or 12 o'clock across the whole state and have people more secure on things. And, and I know that some of the, the folks on uh, the, the, my side of the aisle that were concerned that somehow this would allow more cheating, it's the same procedure they do election day. It's just the day before so we could, everyone seems to be using absentee ballots and mail-in. Looking back at this list, one bill that does stand out that I said has bipartisan port would allow election officials to process absentee ballots. That means they can look at the envelope, check for errors, start stacking them and getting them in order in hopes to not have election results until 12, 1, 2 a.m. We've all been through it, right? Um, but there was a sticking point of why that didn't, a similar bill last year didn't pass. And it's because in the Senate, there was still some theories, false, that this could open it up to more fraud. Well, you also saw some far-right media kind of jump on this issue and try to pressure because there was a discussion in the Assembly under Speaker Voss about doing this. Um, the concern from critics all along has been that even though, you know, this, these versions say so you can't run them through a machine, that you would get vote, you know, you'd get an idea of what's going on early. Like some of the clerk's office would leak, hey, by the way, it's looking so good it's for Party like X. Mm -hmm. And you're probably wondering at home, like, what's the big deal about processing? Believe it or not, Opening the envelope and unfolding the ballot takes time when you have thousands and thousands. Milwaukee County actually has machines that open those ballots now and get everything going. Yeah. It's because that time consuming. Just getting them stacked, you start popping them through a machine would save time. In 2020, um, when we got the results from Milwaukee County at 4, 30, 5 o'clock in the morning, I wasn't surprised because I was up during the August primary until 3 a.m with primary level turnout in Milwaukee County waiting on those absentee ballots. We don't vote as frequently absentee as we used to because the pandemic has died down obviously dramatically, but still, uh, the advocates say the faster you process the stuff, the less conspiracy theories you are, fewer you're gonna have about Milwaukee. Even in 2018, uh, when Central Count came in late on election night and pushed Evers over the top, there was a question of, oh, you know, what was going on? There's something goofy going on here. It, it's just Milwaukee central count has been slow. It's always been slow. This is a way to make it faster. Right, and uh, another way to try to combat some of the conspiracies out there is another bipartisan bill uh, that would create an absentee ballot verification system. It would text you that, hey, your clerk received your ballot. Now, it wouldn't alert you if you left like the yeah. date or your signature or witness signature, et cetera, but it's still, I think that bill what I'm hearing for both bill sponsors is a bipartisan bill that could likely get on the floor um, and could pass, but adding some other tweaks to it, like, hey, you forgot this, but note, 
that voters can always check on the My Vote system. That is something that will always tell you that information of where your ballot is. Speaking of absentee ballot, we have a new lawsuit. Mm -hmm. And this comes, of course, after absentee ballot drop boxes were banned. So now we have learned that four Wisconsin absentee voters have filed a federal lawsuit challenging the state requirement that a witness must sign those ballot envelopes. Now, the suit argues it violates the Federal Voting Rights Act which is uh, by requiring a voter to have someone vouch for those qualifications. So go back post-Civil War uh, in the South, um, there was a lot of laws passed, Jim Crow laws, trying to find ways to prevent black voters from casting ballots. One of them was having to have somebody who's registered to vouch for you. This lawsuit tries to make the connection of what was going on then, the vouching system was banned by Voting Rights Act. This is basically a vouching system under absentee uh, ballot laws in Wisconsin. I have no idea how valid the argument is. I'm not a lawyer, as I often say. But it is the latest front on absentee ballots. We have the lawsuit pending right now trying to reverse the ban on absentee ballot drop boxes in Wisconsin. We have lawsuits in Dane County about what's an address, essentially, right? And now we have one saying, you don't need a witness, period, to vote in Wisconsin. It's a burden. If you are somebody who is um, stuck at home, can't get out, how do you find a witness to like for your absentee ballot? That is a challenge for people. They're arguing this is a, a problem. It should be thrown out. We'll see. This is a federal lawsuit, not a state one like the other ones. All right, and now we're going to move over to Congress um, because we wanted to check in a little bit um, with Wisconsin's delegation, given the fact that um, now former mm -hmm. House Speaker uh, was voted out uh, this week. So looking at your screen, this is all of the congressmen from Wisconsin. They voted uh, in favor of Speaker Kevin McCarthy, uh, but it really wasn't enough because this effort was led by Florida Representative Matt Gates, who voted to remove him. And this was over largely over disagreements about federal government spending. There is a vacancy right now. They have appointed someone, kind of a point of contention. Um, but a, all of everyone on your screen from Wisconsin uh, yeah. wanted to keep them there. All the Republicans did, yes. Now, go back to Saturday, the continuing resolution that passed the House, two Republicans didn't vote for it. Uh, one was Scott Fitzgerald uh, from Suburban Milwaukee, other Tom Tiffany from the North. They both cited border issues. That continuing resolution did not include additional funding for border control it, uh, policies. They voted against it then. Uh, so it's worth noting that that's, that's an issue for the Republican base still. They left that out. Um, the Democrats who voted to remove McCarthy, uh, including Mark Bocan, they said, I don't trust the guy. And if you look at the vote, it was all Democrats plus, I think, eight Republicans who ousted him. The Democrats are saying, look, you're doing everything to make us miserable. You don't work with us. You're trying to defeat us, knock out our moderates, but you want us to save your butt. How does that work exactly? And there was this beef on Saturday because the King resolution came up and Democrats wanted time to read it and they were denied that. So if you're McCarthy, you kind of like didn't give these guys a reason to support you. For Democrats now though, is it gonna be worse? Is the next person gonna be worse for, get, for Joe Biden getting things done? That's gonna be fascinating to watch. Right, and after they passed this uh, stopgap uh, federal funding bill, what it was specifically was the contentious point was Speaker McCarthy blaming Democrats, even though they helped him pass the bill mm -hmm. on a Sunday morning political show on CBS. So that's what kind of also ticked yeah. him off of what I was hearing in, in the building as well. All right, let's get to stock picks this week. Rising is culture wars. Why? Because there was three public hearings this week on two bills. One that we have seen proposed that was first introduced in 2021 that would ban transgender uh, youth 
from participating in women's sports teams. Another bill would ban gender affirming uh, care, which means you know hormone surgeries and other things. It would actually uh, penalize doctors who give this treatment to individuals who would like to transition. So. I don't want to talk about kind of the morality of these bills, who's right and wrong. I want to talk about the politics of it because it plays a role here. So looking at it politically, Republicans have lost a culture war on gay marriage. On abortion, they won the ultimate prize of overturning Roe v. Wade, but they're losing the political war time and time again in elections because voters are not happy with there being no guaranteed access to an abortion. Republicans feel like this is the one they can win. They, they still have a toehold here. No, I'm not saying that. It's motivated by politics. There's also a personal belief in these things. But politically, my question has been, is it just about the base or about swing voters, right? So Republicans have a little bit of a fear about next fall if Donald Trump is the nominee because he's this is a divisive figure, okay? This is an issue that maybe excites the base a little bit, maybe shores up some weakness there. Also, it's not just about state or federal politics. Remember, like, uh, School board elections are going to be more and more about transgender issues, what books are in kids' schools, those kinds of things. Republicans see an opportunity to excite a small sliver of the middle that is undecided and maybe bring them over. Uh, I had one Republican operative tell me that you know, like blue-collar, union-type folks who are not really enamored with the left progressive wing of the Democratic caucus, they may kind of be pulled over because of these issues because pocketbook dominates everything. How do you feel now compared to four years ago? How's your mortgage doing? How's your job doing? How's your kid's school? Those are things that drive people more than anything else. But if there's something that can maybe motivate people, this might be one of the things that gets a little bit of an edge. And if you're talking about another election in next fall of 20, 21,000 votes, every little bit helps. Right, and this is kind of an issue too in local school boards as well. Um, there was one individual who uh, testified saying they passed a resolution in support of these bills. There's also been a lot of transgender policies that have been very controversial, something that Will, the conservative law firm, has taken up and tried to sue over, some bathroom rules, et cetera. So it's definitely something that's gonna be here for a while and a talking point that will impact individuals, possibly when they go to the ballot box. Mm -hmm. Mixed this week is Christine, Katrina, excuse me, Shanklin, who has now entered the third congressional so, race. So the fourth candidate in, the third one that actually kind of matters, no offense to Adam Nye, who's a student at Harvard right now, it doesn't really live in the district just yet, but not a great foundation for campaign. But the three I'm focused on are Katrina from Stevens Point, Rebecca Cook from Eau Claire, and Tara Johnson from La Crosse. Johnson, former county board chair, Rebecca Cook, uh, nonprofit owner. They're from the three population centers of the third district. Tara has the biggest one. La Crosse is really the heart of that district. Rebecca Cook from the second biggest one. Shanklin is from this one way over here in the Northeast. So question number one, will that be part of the district next fall? We have not seen a lawsuit asking the state Supreme Court to throw out the current map and draw a new one. It's obviously we've seen one for the legislative lines, but nothing for congressional yet. So is that going to come? If that comes, could that kind of landmass attaching Stevens Point to the third go away? Then what does she do? Two, uh, if she stays, she's got to drive a lot to cut into the bases of the other two candidates in Eau Claire and La Crosse and get better known. Rebecca Cook, by the way, announced the same day that uh, Katrina got in, she had 400 grand raised in her first quarter. Uh, by comparison, she raised $453,000 the entire campaign in 2022. It wasn't a coincidence that Rebecca Cook dropped that number the day Katrina got in. She wanted to show, hey, I'm doing well. Looking at all of them so far, I don't know they're scaring Derek Van Orden a whole lot just yet, the Republican freshman representative. They could have a divisive primary. 
We'll see how they split their resources, if they can get unified afterward. His bigger issue right now is who's going to be the next speaker? Because Kevin McCarthy can get a lot of checks and directed money to a lot of, a lot of uh, vulnerable incumbents like Derek Van Orden. Van Orden's raised good money on his own, but he's been helped a great deal by that infrastructure that McCarthy built. What happens now for him financially without McCarthy? Jim Jordan, for example, has talked about as a possible replacement right. from Ohio. He's not known as a great big check fundraiser, great with small dollar donors, but not the big check writing people who drive these packs. Um, Steve Scalise on Louisiana, another possible replacement. A little better connected, but you know that's a worry for Van Orden. Oh, by the way, the dysfunction of the House GP caucus right now, there's no ag bill. Uh, it expired, uh, I believe, September 30th. Correct. It's a five-year bill. That is a big deal for Derek Van Orden. If they can't get that done, that's not a great look for him when he said, I'm going to be the cheese king, essentially, of the House. Uh, and really, he's done a good job working rural issues. But if your caucus can't get like a big party done, that might hurt you back home. So it's tough to watch going forward. All right. And falling this week is an individual that Governor Tony Evers appointed to serve on the State Elections Commission. And now he's essentially in some hot water after Republicans signaled at a confirmation hearing that they might not confirm him. So the Elections Commission has six spots, two reserved for former municipal or county clerks who are uh, put on a list by leadership in both houses from Republicans and Democrats. The governor picks one of those three to put on the commission. Joe Sarsneski was uh, basically put on that list by the Democratic leaders. He was appointed him in May. His, one of his first actions was abstaining from the Megan Wolf nomination vote. Right. So didn't sit well with Republicans. Watching the nomination hearing uh, this week, they pushed him over and over again. Why'd you do this? We think the law says you have to act. You didn't act. Um, Steve Canole said, or sorry, uh, Dan Canole said, you get you a dereliction of duty, essentially. Remain Quinn. Republican from North saying, you ignored state law. They voted against confirming him. Now, the full Senate has to act, actually pull him off of the commission. But it's not a great start for you when Republicans feel like your first act is basically ignoring the law. Now, Democrats can argue, um, hey, we thought we were doing what was best. We, we feel like you're reading it wrong. We have a different interpretation. But Republicans control his fate. He may be collateral damage in the effort to target Megan Wolf. Now, my question is going forward, what happens? If he's removed, in theory, there'd be a small window, possibly, where Republicans would have a 3-2 majority in the commission and could remove Megan Wolf by a simple vote of 3-2. I don't know in reality that was going to happen because with those lists that they have, Evers could have somebody new put in right, place right. Mm -hmm. you know, within a day or two before the commission could even try and meet. So it's probably not a reality. But what happens next? We have, talked about before, impeachment articles. We have this whole thing with like who's even in the commission. JCLO, are they going to act? I mean, there's all these like kind of chaotic things like circling around this. And we have an election again in 13 months um, that we got to run in Wisconsin and we could determine the presidency. So, right. And it just speaks to how Republicans can use their power mm -hmm. if they're frustrated with the governor, maybe over what he did, but it's almost a, a growing problem of other frustrations that they have that in a sense, kind of airing their grievances. Well, we're not going to select you because of X, Y, and Z. And they have that ability to do that. So uh, remains to be seen what happens with this fate. That will do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Emily Bannon. And I'm J.R. Ross. We'll see you next time. This program was brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. 
bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.